Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Terry Fluker, guest host for today's show. In the studio with me today is Dr. Carmen J. Walters. Dr. Walters is president of Tougaloo College. Tougaloo College will receive a 2020 Governor's Arts Award for Preservation of the Arts. This award will recognize its visual art collection, Mississippi's first modern art collection. Welcome, Dr. Walters. Thank you. Glad to be here. So glad you're with us. You know, we'll talk a lot about the art collection and um, just arts in general, but um, I want to start talking about you. Oh, wow. Where were you you born, Dr. Walters? So I was born in New Orleans. Um, My parents, uh, my father is from Natchez, Mississippi, and my mother is a New Orleanian, and they met very young in New Orleans, and that's where I was born and raised. So tell me about Natchez. You have some Mississippi roots. Absolutely. Growing up as a girl, you know, it's hard to believe my parents had 13 children. And like every parent uh, who lived in New Orleans but weren't raised there, my father thought every summer we had to go to Natchez. And so what was exciting about that is we got to see all our cousins, Mm -hmm. but we got to play in the red dirt the red clay, because we didn't have that in New Orleans. So it was a very exciting time, a wonderful way to experience childhood, going back and forth from Natchez to New Orleans. And, you know, Natchez is one of my favorite places. And, of course, New Orleans is another one of my favorite places. Yes, absolutely. And uh, so, of course, there are a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. You know, both places are on the Mississippi River. Yes. And so when you went to Natchez, I would imagine that seeing the river wasn't um, a big thing for you, but um, you kind of got a chance to see it in a different spot. We got to see it differently uh, because of the way Natchez uh, was designed. And uh, we had family members who worked down near the river, and so we could go there. And it was surprising the first time I learned um, that that was the same river (laughs) as a child. It was like, oh, wow, you know. Um, But absolutely enjoyed uh, understanding the culture and the differences. There were many, many differences. Uh, the food was different. Yes. Uh, and so I really think that it shaped me. I got to appreciate my father's upbringing because he would constantly remind us of the differences. Now, when you get there, this is what you need to say or mm-hmm. this is what you need to do. So it's pretty interesting. So he had fond memories of, of growing up in Natchez, yes. it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. he did. And when you, th- when you think about the river, it's um, it's you know they don't call it the mighty Mississippi for for nothing right, right? you That's know right. and it's um, you're right that that um, thinking about it from the New Orleans angle mm-hmm. and then going north you know you say wow this yeah is it's very different magnificent yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. yeah so you mentioned food. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm a lover of food. Yes, me too. I'm a foodie. <laughs> what was your favorite meal when you would, 
well, when you were growing up, and and maybe some food that you you know dishes that you ate in Natchez. Yeah. Tell so us about that. when we went to Natchez, my uh, my grandparents used to sell corn, mm-hmm. and so my aunts used to say to us, "You're not a Hawkins if you don't eat corn," uh, because that's what their parents made their money off. Mm-hmm. And so we ate a lot of corn and vegetables and and the, and the like hardly ever any seafood. Mm-hmm. But in New Orleans, seafood is all we ate. That's right. So we would, you know, look, we followed the, the uh, Catholic tradition of eating fish on Fridays. Mm-hmm. So when we were there, we would say, well, we can't eat that meat. We have to have <laughs> fish. It's Friday. <laughs> uh, so things like that, you know. And, and no one made gumbo in mm-hmm. Natchez. Mm-hmm. And we had gumbo all the time. Mm-hmm. So when my mother... Uh, when we got to Natchez, that's the first thing my aunts wanted her to do, uh, make gumbo, you know. So the, the food was very different. Yes. <laughs> so gumbo, mm-hmm. what kind of gumbo did your mom make? My mother made traditional seafood, seafood. gumbo. Ah. Mm-hmm. And she didn't think there there was any other kind. And so when people said, well, we had chicken and sausage gumbo, she's like, that's not gumbo. You need, you need shrimp and crab. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I was uh, telling you uh, off air that, um, and you know this, that I just got back from New York City. Yes. And um, one of our... Um, uh, sponsors uh, for the program that I was in, she made gumbo. Oh, wow. So That's I had, exciting. So I had my first bowl of gumbo for the new year uh, in New in York. In New York. <laughs> How interesting is that? Yeah. Was it good? It was good. Mm-hmm. It Very was good. good. And she's a Southerner. So, so she, yes, she grew so she up in, in Mobile. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. So another one of our sister cities. Yes, um, yes. And so it was she... an uh, okra gumbo. Oh, that should have been delicious. So it was very good. Mm-hmm. It was very mm-hmm. good. So... Uh, everyone kept asking, is, is this a good gumbo? Is yes. This, you know, so they, um, I guess, relied on You me needed to... to authenticate the pot of gumbo. <laughs> yes. I understand. <laughs> so tell me about your upbringing in New Orleans. Uh, what were some of those uh, memories for you? So, you know, growing up in New Orleans is just a very, very interesting culture. Although we were Baptists, like I said, we did follow the Catholic uh, beliefs in New Orleans because that's just the way it is. And so um, growing up, of course, one of the biggest times for us was Mardi Gras. And back then it seemed like uh, Mardi Gras was a short period of time, but you packed a lot into it. Now Mardi Gras is much longer, it seems. Uh, But we took part in Mardi Gras, took part in Lent. Uh, we made sure that we had big Christmases. You know, my parents had 13 children, so Christmas was huge. And my father worked on the railroad 3 to 11, and he built homes, houses during the day. Uh, And my mother cooked in the school system, so she was home when we were home. And so all those things were great. But what happened for me is my parents had eight children, waited six six years. They thought they were finished. And then I came and then a bunch of boys came and then another girl. So, but for six years they had only me. And so I was so spoiled. And my whole community, that one street, there are no babies on the street but me. 
So I just was from house to house and from arm to arm. And to this day, those same people that those families are constantly communicating with me. How are you doing? Since I'm not living there, they still see me as the baby of the block. (laughs) So it's an interesting life for me. Absolutely. you, You really grew up. Really, I was. I had community. a great support system. I have a bunch of godmothers in yes. in Louisiana. We call them nanas. That's right. And That's so, right. Um, yeah, it's really cool. And so, my oldest sisters are like parents to me, and my oldest brothers. So it's it was great. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, you know, that just must have been uh, something. You you couldn't get into a lot of mischief. I could not. <laughs> but also, I thought everything belonged to me. Uh, you know, it was yes. it was my world. Yes. It was all about me. So at, growing up, I've had to learn, it's really not about you, Carmen. <laughs> but I always thought it was. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a wonderful way to, you know, just grow up to... Mm-hmm to be surrounded by people that uh, looked out for you. Yes, you know, that's right. And, the community uh, was the, so engaged. Yes. Uh, it goes back to the old adage, taking a village. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Welcome back to the Arts Hour. I'm Tori Fluker. And with me in the studio is Dr. Carmen J. Walters. Dr. Walters is president of Tougaloo College. And we were talking about her childhood in New Orleans mm-hmm. and and just living among friends and family and um, off the air. She was telling me about Miss Ever. Ever. So her name was Everlene. Yes. And, but we all called her Miss Ever. And I could just go and sit on her porch and talk to her or just walk in the house and say what I wanted. I, I, she made the best lemonade. Uh. And she would squeeze it and put it in this big jar, this big glass jar that I couldn't touch, the jar itself. So I had to get one of her kids. And I just start, I want some lemonade. And she would stop what she's doing. Give that child some lemonade. <laughs> So, so I don't know if her children loved me or not. (laughs) And then, you know, I would go down the street to my aunt. She had one son. And um, so she would kick him out of his bedroom. He'd have to sleep on the couch. And and I slept in his bed. And I was visiting him uh, in D.C., you know, and we were talking about that. Uh And so I said, were you upset when I would do that? He said, no, because that's we only had a TV in the living room. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to be on the couch so he could watch TV all night. I see. So he wanted me to come and spend the (laughs) night. So it's like, okay, I did a good thing there. He said, Mm -hmm. please come. Yes, please please come. come. I'm going to look at TV all night. Yeah, no television in the bedroom. Yeah. Wow, I love that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, growing up in New Orleans, you're surrounded by a lot of creativity Mm -hmm. and um, you know, music everywhere. Absolutely. So, what are some of your favorite, you know, times if 
just experiencing that kind of life, you know. So one thing, uh, my mother was a performer. Uh, my mother was a singer. Yes. And she loved dancing. She tap danced and all, but she was really known for singing until she died. Uh, my mother was called upon by many people in the community, around the community, both sides of the river, to just come and sing at church programs. And and so we grew up with music. We grew up yeah. singing. Uh, my brother and I have traveled Europe, Scandinavia, Germany. Uh, he's been to Russia. He's doing a lot more traveling than I am since I have a real job. <laughs> uh, but what I love about New Orleans is that there are so many local greats. Absolutely. And you grew up respecting them for their craft and for their art and for what they were bringing to the community. And you often thought about, okay, I want to do that. Yes. And so we would get in the house and, you know, get around our fake mic, which was a broomstick or whatever, <laughs> oh, yes. and try to sing just like everybody we saw on television or whoever we saw at church. And so growing up uh, around music and the arts, it just became a part of us. Yes. You know, um, I, I, I chuckled when you said that about the mic, you know, mm. um, I think we all had those yeah, moments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just remember a broom or a brush or, you know, something. Yes, you know? yes. You know, and when I was a young girl, when Mahalia Jackson died, but uh, all of the local musicians. So my mother was singing during that era mm -hmm. uh, with Mahalia Jackson. And when she died, all of the musicians, our church musicians, they were all on a schedule and they played during during the, the viewing, you know, how they lay you in state yes. all day. So my church musician and several others, they were on a schedule from this hour to this hour to just sit and play uh, for someone as famous as she was. Oh but she gosh. was a local artist. She and so was. the local artists came together. And, and I remember that vividly. Um, and, you know, just performing. My brother and I, we performed at the Jazz Fest, mm -hmm. and so the Neville brothers are there. And, and you know all these people are famous, but they are local artists. So you're engaged from a local point of view. Absolutely. Oh, mm -hmm. my gosh. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it just sends chills up my spine. Yeah, it's wonderful. Mahalia Jackson. Yes, absolutely. You know, one uh -huh. of our great gospel singers. Absolutely. You know, I was... Mm -hmm. um, saying just a couple days ago that um, we were just kind of talking about the the March on Washington 1963 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, you know Mejia was the oh, one yeah. that told Dr. Yes. King Hold, tell him about your dream tell him about your dream tell him about mm -hmm. your dream so mm -hmm. she is just just uh, a giant oh yes absolutely and such a you know a mecca for New Orleans to say this is what can come out of uh, great music and just singing in your church. Yes. You know, it's it's so important to do that. Absolutely. When you're in the South, you know, you got to be grounded uh, in that in that era. And so there are so many more artists that are unnamed who made a, a huge impression on us growing up. Mm -hmm. And so when we saw them in the community, I was a young girl singing on the radio. Mm -hmm. when the radio station was WBOK. Yes. I knew nothing <laughs> about singing on the radio. Uh, but we'd get in that little room, and then he'd point to you, and you just start singing something from church. And it was you having a great time right there on the radio. So, 
Yes, one of the famous radio disc jockeys back then, his name was Dr. Daddy-O. And yes. so if you remember I him, do. Yeah. Yes. So if you if you were on his show, then you had made it. And so everyone would run home in the afternoon to see who was going to be on that show. And we were on there several times. So oh. that was a lot of fun. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about singing in Europe. Yeah, so uh, we were performing at a church, my brother and I, and uh, a gentleman who's a medical doctor, his name is Per Mall, a medical doctor from Norway, just happened to hear us and said, I want to bring this to Norway, mm. you know, and this was starting in the 80s. Oh, wow. And so he began to go back. We said, oh, you know, this is not going to happen, you know. Well, he started writing us and calling, and we got the trip together. So the first trip was about 17 days, and um, after that, I went maybe two or three times a year. Mm. And the longest trip, uh, the longest tour I had was 30 days. Mm. Uh, but my... I have been to every city in the country of Norway performing. And so we would do festivals, and we did a lot of festivals in Germany. I've uh, been to Finland. And so it, it, has, it was a great, great uh, journey for us. And, of course, I was working and doing this, so there are certain times of year when the festivals are going on. So I could work and then save up my time and then go on tour. So it was really, really, I have friends there to this day. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, just thinking about the opportunity to perform, Mm -hmm. but also what you saw and oh my god know, the, the church in cologne germany oh. took 500 years to build it it's a it's a work of art yes and then we would do what we call cultural mixes mm. and so we would bring we would have norwegians come to new orleans and we would do music workshops with them and then we would have this integrated choir and we would travel the city and perform Oh, uh, and we would do the same thing when we got there. And so it was really a culture mix. And we refused to stay in hotels. We designed it where you had to live in the homes. And that way you could really uh, embrace the culture and understand the differences. And so it, it really shaped me and shaped my, my life after that. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is just amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, again, seeing seeing Europe and seeing it in through the eyes of locals, you know, because you're yes. staying in these uh, in their homes and, and not in hotels. So that that makes the experience a lot more richer. Oh, sure. Yeah. And the food, you know, oh, the salmon yes. and the steaks. And they really go through a strong process of assessing their milks and their chocolates and it's food that you've never eaten in your life. <laughs> oh, wow. It sounds delicious. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> this is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Welcome back to the Arts Hour. 
I'm Turi Fluker. And to, in the studio with me today is Dr. Carmen Walters. Dr. Walters is president of Tougaloo College, and we've just been chatting away about uh, her childhood growing up in New Orleans and, and her singing career mm -hmm. in Europe. Yes. And um, mm -hmm. and all of the things that she got a chance to see and, um, and experience while there. But now I want to talk about my beloved Tougaloo College. Yes. And um, what what has it been like? You've been there since July first, mm -hmm. and um, tell me, tell me what 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 are what are some of your your plans for our Tougaloo? Well, I tell you, Tougaloo College, you have to walk the grounds to experience it. You have to talk to the students, talk to the faculty to really experience the whole gamut of Tougaloo. And I still don't think I've experienced all of it. I'm on such a fact-finding mission. The history there is so, um, how can I say, uh, for lack of a better term, it's just so luscious. You know, it's this purebred of where we started from, uh, being that Tougaloo was a plantation, uh, that we've used all those facilities for so long, that it was the Mecca for the civil rights movement. So you begin to ask yourself the question, is this really for me to do? Uh, you, you start to feel the weight of it on your shoulders. Like I have this uh, important, important piece to play in this role of preserving Tougaloo, which is why the theme for me this year, for us, our team, is preserving and advancing excellence yes. because there's so much to be preserved and protected. And so that's one of the main tenets uh, for us as we develop our strategic plan is making sure that we hold on to all those legacies, hold on to the history, preserve that history, make sure that our students know that history and understand that history, and make sure they know that they're creating their own history now, their own path, and leaving a legacy uh, for others as they matriculate on to professional school or on to work. So it's a big, big responsibility, and I'm grateful you know, there's a gospel song that talks about being grateful. I'm so grateful that I was chosen for this, that this is the calling that was placed on my life uh, to be a part of Tougaloo College. And, you know, sometimes I wake up and I think, we are really doing this. I'm really engaged in this. I get to sit in this chapel. I get to design the inside of the mansion. You know, Dr. Hogan did a fabulous job at Tougaloo College. So how do I continue that legacy and making sure that Tougaloo is steadily moving forward? Yes, I, I think you said it best. It mm -hmm. is so luscious, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. the the history. I mean, even if you think you know the history of Tougaloo, you are steady unpacking. Absolutely. You know, um, and I'm all meeting kinds people every day yes. who say, "My grandmother uh, went to Tougaloo, and she did this, that, and the other, and my grandfather." And so that that history, the alums, you know, all over the world. Yesterday, we had a beautiful young female come. She's an alum of Tougaloo, and uh, she is a doctor at Johns Hopkins. 
and she was able to come back and talk to our students about how her career uh, was shaped through Tougaloo College and working on the uh, Jackson Heart Study. Yes. And so this was a springboard for her to go to medical school and to do all the things that she's done. And you're thinking that these uh, students, 90% of our students are from right here in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And so with, with when you look at the history of Tougaloo, 34% of the medical doctors here in Mississippi graduated from Tougaloo College. Yes. 44% of the educators and the lawyers graduated from Tougaloo. So this beautiful liberal arts institution is changing the shape of uh, Mississippi and beyond. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, and I always tell the story about, you know, how people all over, mm-hmm. they know about Tougaloo. They know about Tougaloo, you know? yes, and, absolutely. And it's either their affiliation with um, either someone that graduated from Tougaloo or um, it could be that they were involved at the um, during the Civil Rights Movement. Sure. Um, or just the idea that they've just heard someone great that had visited Tougaloo, Absolutely. or they came to or they see, came some, to came see, see someone. Yeah. Yes. And so we like, we have this partnership with the Evers family, and we are the curators of the Mega Evers home. And there are people who've never been to Tougaloo, but they've been to the Mega Evers home, or they know the Evers family. That draws them in uh, to Tougaloo. So there's so many facets uh, that really get people engaged uh, with Tougaloo. And I'm so glad you mentioned the Megar Evers House, mm-hmm. um, the, um, the Governor's Award that we're going yes. to receive. Oh, I'm so excited. And it's going to honor our fantastic art collection. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, we're so proud of that. Mm-hmm. And um, as I know that uh, you you are. Yes, and absolutely. What What is, what is it, why is that important? And... Um, why and you mentioned the mansion and the mm-hmm. restoration of mm-hmm. the mansion mm-hmm. you know all of these things why do you think those are are important so the cultural assets at our university you know they they there there are no other cultural assets like our assets so it's a, it's important that we preserve that and then tugaloo is the biggest classroom in the world because if you are coming to Tougaloo, you don't only learn inside the classroom, but you learn in the chapel. You learn you learn about all the speakers who came before you, and we constantly bring great speakers before our students. Uh, you're you're doing we're doing workshops in the cafeteria and and on the lawn, and so the whole piece becomes a lab for learning. And so the mansion is a lab for learning. The president's house, it has all these art pieces that becomes a lab for learning. So it's important that we preserve uh, these cultural assets. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Um, And you know, we can talk about Tougaloo forever. Um, but I want to have a little fun with you. Okay, sure. Um, one of my favorite shows is Inside the Actor Studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, James Lipton is the host. Yes. And he likes to ask the actors these series of questions okay. that uh, come from Bernard Pivo, mm-hmm. um, originates from uh, his show in France. So I'll start with what is your favorite word? My favorite word is innovation. 
I love innovation. I want to think uh, of new ideas. I want to bring more and more people to the table to see what they're thinking about. And if we fix it this way today, how can we change it tomorrow? I'm not one that says, if it isn't broken, don't touch it. I'm thinking, okay, the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. So, so let's be innovative. Yes. What is your least favorite word? Uh, my least favorite word is stupid. Um, you know, a lot of times people who are unlearned, they use the word, they use it on kids, on children. And I think it's the harshest thing you could say to a person is that they're stupid because then you're saying to them they can't learn. And even dogs can learn. And so, um, and that they don't matter, and that they don't matter, right. and and that. So I hate that word. Yes. And my second word I hate is rut. Yes, I don't like being stuck in a rut. Yes. Let's let's change it up. So that goes right along with innovation. Yes. <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I think um, great music by great artists. I love all forms of music. I love jazz. I love rap. I love rock. I love all forms of music. Um, I, you know, if I think about rock, I'm going to say Aerosmith. If I think about R&B, I'm going to think uh, Beyonce. If I think about gospel, I'm going to say the Hawkins family. So if I listen to those different songs any given day, I'm motivated. I'm I'm ready to go. I, you know, and I I can do that in the morning on the treadmill, and it's like get my day started. Yes. So great music, great artists. Yes. Mm-hmm. What turns you off? I tell you, people who are not team players. Uh, you're at the table, and it's all about you, your way or no way, and and that. That turns me off. I, I don't want to be at the table anymore. I don't want to play in the sandbox. Yes. Mm-hmm. What sound or noise do you love? Uh, growing up, we had a tin roof, and it was nothing like that rain beating on the roof. Uh, it was so relaxing, and uh, it's just that constant sound of the rain. And it almost as if it had a fresh smell to it when the when the rain hit the tin roof. Hmm. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I would love to do something in the professional sports world, not as an athlete, of course, but I would love to do something with the athletes. They have such an uncanny way of rising to the occasion, uh, doing the unthinkable. You know, a ball in my hand is just a ball. But you think of a ball in LeBron's hands, it becomes something so magical. And so I think I could learn so much by being a therapist or a counselor or something, a life coach, uh, working with them. And so if I could choose another career, I'd do something in the in the professional sports world. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, that's bringing tears to my eyes because what I do every day as an educator is so important. I would want him to tell me that I changed the trajectory of students' lives in the state of Mississippi. And, you know, that would be work well done. Well, 
you're doing it, Dr. Walters. I mean, mm. you know, um, we are so, as an alum of the college, we are so delighted to have you well, at the helm. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. So what can we do to nurture a state of art lovers? I think we have to start very early, um, you know, showing children pictures very early and helping them to understand that that photo is art, uh, showing them pieces, models, uh, clay models, and when they when they draw their pictures, you, you, you're an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they perform, you're an artist. Mm-hmm. When they make their little clay, you're an artist. So we start to make them think about that and taking them to museums, especially the children's museums and buying them books on the museums. We have to start this very, very early so it becomes the red thread. Uh, in their life. And so when, you know, when my children were little, I would say, we're going to go on a trip. So we're going to go see a museum and we're going to go see an antebellum home. Which one do you want to go to? So go research, find out where we're going to go. And so that got them engaged in going to visit museums uh, because it was like, oh, you go to the museum for your birthday? That's something special. You know, they link it. And I think we have to do things like that to help our kids understand that art is all around them and that they're, they are the creators. And so preserve the art, create the, the art, understand the art is start, starts very early. You know, one of the things that I loved when I first heard you uh, speak mm-hmm. is that I said, you know, she is a wonderful storyteller. Oh, you're so sweet. You know, That's and, awesome. And she captures the audiences um, that she speaks to. Um where did you learn that from? Was that something early? Too? I think that's a gift. Yeah. I do. Uh, my mother could tell stories. My yeah. father is a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. I wrote a children's book uh, from my from my dad's stories. Yes. And I taught second grade, uh, so I've ta- I've been in every genre, I guess you could say, of education. But the stories is what speaks to all of us. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a story. So when you begin to tell your story, people connect Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. And I love telling stories. I think uh, it's important to help everyone get into the moment. Mm -hmm. And so living in Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, we are around storytellers. Uh, Our ancestors, they could not read. They could not write. They could simply tell you the narrative. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's just a part of me. I love it. I mean, you know, and it's, you know, for the 21st century student, mm-hmm. it is something that I think motivates them when they hear you speak. And, and you know, and it's just coming from an tra- a old tradition that, you, like you said, and Absolutely. it's bringing that forth. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's always just um, so wonderful to hear you uh, well, thank tell you. the Tougaloo story. Yes, um, and I love you. Have helped me so much. You've oh. been the greatest history teacher, you know. And so I'm learning so much about the history. But every time I talk to someone who's a part of Tougaloo, they tell me pieces and parts that I'm I'm creating a tapestry, and so it's it's just been wonderful. 
Yes, and you are weaving that tapestry so magnificently. Thank you. We we just we don't have enough time. We could talk forever. It's just been such a wonderful um, experience working with you, and also an experience of just being here in the studio talking with you about art and and Tougaloo. Well, thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. I look forward to coming back again. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app.